Hello, I'm Billy Jacobson, a partner at Allen & Overy focusing on white-collar criminal work, including FCPA defense, investigations, and compliance. This is part of a series of web chats recorded during this period of self-isolation with prominent folks in the anti-corruption world. I'm pleased to be joined today by Luis Filavicki, a partner with Sampaio Ferraz in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I met Luis while he was acting for Brascam, and I, along with my former partner Guy Singer, were the monitors of Brascam, appointed by the DOJ, the SEC, and the Brazilian MPF. In addition to the Brascam case, Luis has been involved in several enforcement actions brought jointly by U.S. and Brazilian authorities. Welcome, Luis. It's great to have you. Hi, Billy. This is my pleasure to be here and participate in this conversation. I, I wish I can give you some insight about how this interesting movement in the fight against uh, corruption in Brazil has taken place in the last few years, especially in the car wash probe, which has so many interesting aspects. Well, it, it certainly does. And in the past few years, I think it's fair to say that the anti-corruption movement in Brazil has few parallels uh, globally. Uh, since 2014, companies and government officials engaged in corruption have been under the spotlight of prosecutors as they really had never been in the country's history. I, I think a, probably a pretty good place to start would be a recap for those uh, who were not yet initiated in this and how this all started. Yeah, this is definitely a major operation. Although Brazil has had some operations against corruption in the past, there was not anything comparable to uh, the car wash probe. So it first started back in March 2014, and it basically involved the acquisition of a gas station, which was then used by an official of Petrobras. And that gas station was located in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. And that's why the operation was named car wash, because there was a car wash in that specific gas station. From that very simple beginning, it spread to more to 71 operations. And the, the operation recovered billions of dollars to the federal government and state-owned enterprises such as Petrobras. And it also ended up, for instance, convicting a, the former president of Brazil, uh, Lula, and also many other politicians from different parties and public officials in, in Brazil. So it had a very, very simple start. The prosecutors who were in Curitiba who started this transaction, they had very uh, simple and uh, rudimentary structure from which they launched these operations with the support of the federal police. And the operation obtained a massive support from Brazilian public opinion and led even to the nomination of, of Judge Moro, who was in charge of the decisions of the car wash problem in, in Curitiba as a, the Minister of Justice in Brazil. So this followed, uh, had many consequences. And uh, as everything, car wash probe was also subject to uh, criticism. 
but that's a, a very long story. And we can even discuss that in more detail, the, the kinds of criticism that Lava Jato has suffered since then. Yeah, let, let's do that. But before we get to that, can you enumerate some of the successes? You've talked about the prosecution of former President Lula, which is which is quite controversial. So I'm sure is thought by some in Brazil to be a success and um, by others to be a failure. So maybe with regard to some of the politicians and then certainly with regard to some of the companies, uh, what have been some of the successes of Lava Jato? Lava Jato uncovered a various schemes in public and in Brazilian state-owned companies such as Petrobras and Eletrobras and even an Eletronuclear, which is a company that runs uh, the Brazilian nuclear plants. So all those schemes, they involved the financing of campaigns, payments of bribes, and the obtainment of contracts with those entities. And not only that, but indirectly, when people started to cooperate with the, the prosecutors, Lava Jato spread to other countries. Uh, so countries such as Peru, Panama, Argentina, Venezuela, they were all somehow involved with links of Brazilian construction companies that also used the same tools overseas. And then in addition to these, uh, uh, these schemes that were uncovered, not only in Brazil, but overseas, Lava Jato played a very important role in establishing a new culture uh, in Brazil a new compliance culture and uh, new efforts uh, for the fight against corruption. So were not only the people who were in charge of the Lava Jato, the prosecutors and the judge who were fighting corruption, but with the support of public opinion, those kinds of, of measures became more common in smaller cities with schemes equivalent to Lava Jato, but in a a smaller scale that were also uh, being uncovered with the example that Lava Jato played to other prosecutors all over Brazil. And the judges were also more inclined to authorize search warrants and other measures against people and schemes that were clearly being spread all over Brazil. Just wide-ranging effects um, is, and that's really a, a dramatic understatement. You implied a few moments ago, Luis, that Lava Jato is not without its critics. So what are their concerns? Yeah, I think there are basically two sets of criticism against Lava Jato. I think the first one deals with political interests, and those basically refer to the fact that the members that were involved uh, with the Lava Jato allegedly could also have their own political interests. So, for instance, when Judge Morrow decided to quit the, his career as a very well-recognized judge and accept to become the minister 
of Bolsonaro who had won the elections with the benefits of Lula being uh, the fact that Lula could not run for president because Moro had uh, convicted him. So this was a, a major uh, criticism against Lava Jato because in the end, Moro was participating in, the, in a government that benefited from the fact that the main opponent could not run against Bolsonaro. And ultimately, which is even more complex, Moro uh, quitted the government. And the reason why he quit the government was because he alleged that the government of Mr. Uh, Bolsonaro was influencing the choice of members of the federal police. So this is a very uh, complex situation that clearly puts uh, the Lava Jato phenomenon uh, a, an important, uh, brings an important political element to it. I think this is one set of criticism uh, against political criticism against Lava Jato. The other is that they allegedly have benefited uh, other parties and targeted their actions against the PT party, which was Mr. Lula's party, and other parties, but not the other right-wing parties. And it's all over in the press, but this is very uh, sensitive issue, and it's hard to conclude on that because more recently we have seen operations that are targeted against the PSDB party, which is a right-wing, mostly center right-wing party, uh, as a result of Lava Jato. So this took years for those actions to materialize, but down the main targets of Lava Jato are people from the right-wing parties. But that, there was this criticism that Lula, especially Lula, was suffering disproportionately to other parties. Um, and then the last, I think, set of criticism, which is also uh, very frequent in local press, is that Lava Jato had also an, an international influence to target some companies. So, and that is in the end, the cooperation with international authorities did not meet the uh, standards that had to be observed uh, for that kind of cooperation. And also that Brazilian companies suffered more than they should have as a result of the penalties applied. And so that this caused several thousand losses of jobs in Brazil and all of that. So when at the first moment people were very excited about the fight against the corruption, but then when people started to lose jobs because the companies were involved in corruption scandals, public opinion started to shift somewhat against uh, Lava Jato.
So I would say that these are the the, the three main sets of criticism against uh, Lava Jato. And Luis, picking up on your last point with regard to international cooperation, uh, it, it seems that the relationship between U.S. and Brazilian prosecutors went from zero to 60 in a very short time. I think it's fair to say that before 2014, there really was not a relationship. Uh, and now there is a very close one, and DOJ appears to be uh, one of the MPF's most reliable partners and vice versa. Um, how have you seen that develop? You've sort of had a firsthand uh, account of that since the beginning. How, ha how have you seen it develop? And did it, did, it, did it pick up speed right away or was it more gradual than it appears? Yeah, I think it picked pick up speed rapidly. But it's important to, to mention that uh, international frontiers were always a barrier against the fight of corruption. So it's, it's very important to, to select uh, this, this criticism with, with caution, because uh, the fact that there is more international cooperation, it is a desire, international desire as well. Everybody wants to, uh, to fight against corruption in a way that international boundaries are not uh, an ex escape for corruption. So I think, and, and, and authorities not only in Brazil, were pretty much surprised that things went rapidly and cooperation started to, to develop, not only with the US, but for instance, with Switzerland. So Switzerland started also to send uh, materials to, to Brazil and Brazil started to send uh, materials and information to countries in Latin America, for instance. But it is indeed amazing to notice how fast that, that developed. But there was, I think that happened because there was a lack of, uh, of opportunities for authorities to get along themselves. So Brazilians started to study abroad uh, after doing their law courses, so postgraduate courses, and started to meet other people overseas. And that's how it happened. People uh, met each other, and they saw that they had the same kinds of problems. And if, if there were interactions among people who used financial structures to send money abroad, why not should the authorities talk to each other? Well, of course, there is a way to do that. And, and I think that's a valid criticism, but uh, things pick up rapidly just because I think authorities had the same point of, view, point of view in the fight against corruption, and they all knew that uh, what had to be done. So it's it's uh, there was a result of a change in law. There was a result of a major effort for an international coordination, and and that's why I think the MPF and not only the MPF but the AGU and the federal Brazilian federal government also get, got 
very good relationships with the U.S. and other other countries. This next question is sort of a big one, but how has Lava Jato changed the Brazilian legal system going forward? Well, I think Lava Jato changed uh, significantly how search warrants were made and more importantly, how cooperation would be made. Until then, and that was the main cause of uh, failure of prior transactions, there was no cooperation. Although we don't have a figure that is exactly uh, a plea bargain, like a plea bargain, we do have now a, a strong legal regime that fosters corporations of cooperation by an individual and companies. And, and Lava Jato was definitely uh, the one that started this in Brazil. So that's how the, the domino st started to be played in Brazil when people started to talk. And before that, there was none of that. People would simply be silent, would have no benefits in cooperating with authorities so the the operations would have a clear end once they got one person that person would not implicate anyone else and would not even dare implicate implicating politicians so that person would keep the information for itself and things would end lava jato started a different technique and a different uh, way of investigation that counted with individuals that had done wrongdoings. And, and what sort of incentives did the prosecutors make available to those individuals who would cooperate? You have, for instance, some cases that, that individuals could even go uh, free without any, any penalty. This is a long story, but the, the JNF case or the JBS case, the individuals, when they, they recorded the then president of Brazil, they got the benefit of simply uh, not being subject to any penalties, which included uh, imprisonment. So this was, uh, the Brazilian regime has a wide range of benefits, but it can reach up to the lack of imposition of any penalty whatsoever. Which of course truly incentivizes uh, both individuals and corporations uh, to cooperate and makes these cases possible. Yes, definitely. But again, this is another idea I think that, that Lava Jato brought is that in the beginning, not only the people who cooperated but also the the prosecutors and, 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 and the judges as Judge Morrow, they could be seen even as heroic figures. So we have this in, in Brazil, fight against corruption was not so much seen from an institutional aspect, a more distanced uh, analysis of what has been done. So we moved from almost no activity against corruption or very few actions against corruption to a heroic view of people who were involved with, with these cases, which is also not good because these people 
also are sub they were trying and, and they were opening a, a new field and they were always subject to criticism, that's natural. And what we needed was a more realistic approach and a more against corruption, a more calm, subtle, and well-established regime that could fight corruption independently of certain individuals. I think it's now after the, the euphoria of the beginning of Lava Jato, I think this is the main outcome that we may see in Brazil, that we now have a regime that is more institutionalized uh, rather than a regime that is a regime of heroic people, of people who are simply fighting against corruption and were not subject to criticism. And I think this is a much more interesting stage where we are now. Yeah, it sounds like it would be the healthy place to to stop and, and reside and have this just the fight against corruption be business as usual without prosecutors necessarily being lionized and idealized. If we can get to that point in Brazil, and it sounds like that's 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 what you're hoping for and, and maybe that's what's happening. Exactly. I think that's in the end that that's what we all hope for, that we need to have less uh, euphoria. We also have to look for uh, rights for people who are being indicted, people who have the opportunity to present their own views, uh, the limits of search warrants and all that. I think so if, if the setback that we have after uh, so many years of Lava Jato move into that direction, I think that would be perfect. And not simply... like a true defense attorney, Luis. No, no, <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. I think one of the major uh, issues that we have to see in Brazil is how the lawyers improve uh, their relationship with clients. I think this is also very important. And that's not a typical approach of a defense lawyer. I think that lawyers in Brazil cannot rely on versions of facts that are presented by their own clients. I think this is key. The lawyers have also a very important role in assessing a, a minimal standard of, let's say, an objective truth of what is behind their cases. They cannot simply pass along the versions that they get from their clients. Sure. We did not have a, a culture of an independent investigation of the facts before the, the lawyers would uh, present their defenses to, to the judges. And actually, I think that's how the system would work better. And that's how we would have a more reliable function of lawyers in Brazil if lawyers do not take for granted what their client says. And this is quite different from what we had before. Uh, before Lava Jato and still today, I think the most lawyers still pass along what they hear from clients. And that's, although it's constitutionally <laughs> uh, granted the right to have a lawyer, I think lawyers have a role to make sure 
that their word is also well seen by the courts, by the companies, by the auditors, by everybody who relies on, on the lawyer's assessment of what their clients have done. No, that makes total sense. Well, Luis, this has been a super interesting discussion. Um, be, because we're all working from home, or most of us are, um, who are listening to this uh, podcast, and maybe it, it's getting a little old, it's getting a little depressing. I know it is for me. I'd like to end with asking everyone about something positive that's come out of this period of quarantine. Uh, what What is that for you? Yeah, I think we cannot... Uh... I have to say about family, so that's obvious. But in addition to family, I think we need to be less dependent on high rates of consumption in all aspects. I think this has proved us that we have to devote ourselves also to smaller pleasures and and keep an eye on things that we can do that do not take uh, so much. There is also a major interest for nature. I think we now consider how important nature has a role to our lives, because if we are confined, we cannot have the benefit of being closer to nature. I think this is important. And also as a result to consumption. I think we have to be able to think more, to read more quality books and have more time for ourselves and to think more about what we really want in life. I think that's the, the main takeaway we have from such a difficult period we are all uh, facing uh, all over the world. Those are really great thoughts. Um, I agree. Well, Luis, thanks again for for joining us here. This has been a great discussion. Really appreciate it. Great to catch up with you. And I hope to actually see you in person at some point soon. I don't know when that will be, but hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Billy. And I hope that we can all resume the normal life with everybody else and uh, in a way that we learn a lot from such difficult times. Yes, agreed. Okay, thank you very much. Talk soon. Thank you. Take care.